Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the Word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40 minute sermon of the Word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message. Vintage Faith, good morning. Happy Father's Day. Happy second day of summer. Happy church day. All right, I'm reading Acts, book of Acts, chapter 16, 6 to 15. 16, 6 to 15. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Tyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Good morning. We are about to enter into a sermon series on the book, Paul's Letter to the Philippians. And uh, we, we've been thinking about this. Pastor Ken and I have been, it was scheduled way earlier, and then we, we've just, with everything going on, just kept pushing it back, saying, hey, we need to address the congregation topically. Um, this is a moment to do that. But we felt that it was time, because sooner or later, you, you have to just stop reacting and say, okay, what does the word of God and his sovereignty say about this situation? If you think about it, I think it was March 8th, and, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on my dates, but we, we were all in here, and, and there was rumors about the, the virus, and, and not, you know, nobody was thinking what actually happened would happen on March 8th, and I'm sure there's a few that say, well, I, I'm not talking about that. We just did not know what was going to happen. And on the 12th, I think uh, March Madness canceled, and then, you know, NBA, MLB, and, and, and everything just seems to, to be shaken. And the world has, has changed. And then in the midst of it, we have the riots and what happened in Minneapolis and what's happening all over the country. We are on shifting sand right now. 
week in, week out, day in and day out. And really, the only solid ground is the, is the Word of God, God's Word. So we are going to go through the book of Philippians. Um, I believe in God's sovereignty that his text will speak to us and speak to moments in, in the culture around us because God is sovereign and he does want to address things. His word does mean something and can speak into the chaos that we see all around us. Pastor Tim Keller says this about expositional preaching. He says, we tend to think of a Bible as a book of answers to our questions. And it, and it is that. However, if we really let the text speak, we may find that God will show us that we are not even asking the right questions. I've used this quote before, but I, I love it. That's why we don't always preach through books of the Bible. We do sometimes go into to series, but that's why we do want a steady diet of just, hey, let's go through this book and see what God has to say and wrestle through the tough things that God has to say and let them speak to our hearts. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we, we love you. We thank you that in, in this world that is chaotic all around us, that we can have a steady anchor and a peace in you. And we know that it's all in your hands, that you love your children, that you protect your children, that everything that does happen to us is for ultimately our good, even if it feels not right in this world. Lord, as we look at the book of Philippians, Paul, on repeat, talks about rejoicing, rejoicing in very difficult circumstances. Help us to be a people that can do that, that we can have joy in, in, in suffering joy and, and persecution. We love you, Lord, and we just lift up these prayers to you. So a little background on the, the city of Philippi. It was a Roman colony. Evan just read for you in Acts, Acts chapter 16. I, I would just encourage you to go there um, throughout the week and just look. It's the start of the Philippian church in Acts chapter 16 what he read about Lydia and God opening her heart. But the city of Philippi was a Roman colony. It was along a major road, a Roman road called the Via Ignatia. It was a trade route. Um, there weren't enough Jews in the city because it was populated with old, retired Roman soldiers. There weren't enough Jews in the city to form a proper synagogue. That's why when you hear what Evan read, they were meeting by the river and praying. On a set, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. So if, if you know anything about Paul, when he's on his missionary journeys, he enters a city, and where does he go first? The synagogue. Because this is the message, this is the fulfillment of Judaism. I have the fulfillment of Judaism, Paul would say. I have the Christ here. I will preach to you the Christ the one whom the entire Old Testament prophesies about. So I'm going to the synagogue to people who already have that Old Testament background and I'll proclaim the Christ. But there was no synagogue in Philippi. So he went down to the river and he meets Lydia and she comes to faith in Christ. And then Paul is arrested and the jailer 
comes to faith in Christ, his whole household comes to faith in Christ. We may have a demon-possessed girl who a demon is, is cast out of her who, who may or may not have come to faith, but this is the Philippian church. Probably started in Lydia's house. Started by a river. Philippians 1, 1 to 2, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, which is another word for pastors or elders and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So when he's addressing this church, just think about that. This is the, the, the beginning, the church plant is, is Lydia and a jailer and possibly a, a, a woman freed from, from a demon. And he goes on to say, he says, I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So why does Paul always pray with joy? Because of the Philippian church partnership in the gospel. That word partnership, the, word, the Greek word is koinonia. It's also translated fellowship. It's also translated participation, willing contribution. It's a side-by-side -side laboring for the same thing in the gospel. And the gospel is a word that's thrown around in, in, in the world today, in the church today. Um, the gospel is a, a word that, that, that does carry with it a lot of confusion. But the word in, in Greek is eangelion, which we, where we get our word evangelical. And the idea is it's good news. News that makes one happy. News, information that causes one joy. Words that bring smiles. A message that causes the heart to be sweet. That is the gospel. The gospel is news. It's an actual historical event. It happened. It's good news. It's not advice. And the world on the outside looking in at the church thinks it's, it's advice. When they hear the word gospel, they're, they're thinking, well, this is what you can and you cannot do. And we'll get to that in a minute. But the gospel is everything. It's, uh, it's why we worship. It's why we get together here. It's, be, we, we, it's the foundation for everything we do as Christians. And it separates us from every other religion in the world, every other philosophy in the world. In chapter one of, of the book of Philippians alone, gospel is mentioned six times. Partnership in the gospel, the defense and confirmation of the gospel, the advancement of the gospel. Again, the defense of the gospel, living in a, a way, manner of life worthy of the gospel and striving side by side in faith, in the gospel. And sometimes in, in evangelical circles, you'll hear words like, well, I've invited Jesus into my heart and I've accepted Jesus. And these aren't entirely wrong, but they're only part of the story. The gospel is so much bigger than that. 
It's the good news of the kingdom of God breaking into this chaotic world that we all look around and see and say, really? How can there be a God? When you look around, just last night, nine people shot in the city of Syracuse. Every day the news, I mean, I don't have to tell you, every day the news, and it's like, come on, really? But there is good news. The kingdom has broken, and the kingdom will finally consummate one day. That is the gospel, and that is what Paul is so passionate about in the book of Philippians, in all his letters. If there's ever been a time in, in my life and I'm 45 years old, so I'm, I'm not that old. Well, depending on how old you are, you, you, you may think you're really old, or you may think I'm young, but there's never been a time in my life where the potential for division is lurking around every corner of a conversation. You throw social media into the mix, and, and it, it can get even worse, I mean, you, you can, there's a lot of people saying things, a lot of people saying things with strong opinions. I'm just not sure anyone's listening. But there's a lot of division, and everyone in here, I, I know I say that, and you've probably landed in it at some point, right? You have opinions. We have opinions. Opinions are good. You want to think through things. Think about the world. You, you, you want that. And then you get in a conversation with someone and you realize, whoa, they actually think the exact opposite than me here. This could be, and people are passionate, right? We're passionate about what we believe. So that can cause friction. That can cause anger. If you look online, there is just wars going on between sides. And you really have to say, there's a lot of opinions today. What, what is the answer to, to this? What, what is the answer? How do people come together for a common cause? In the ancient world, the time of Christ, the hostility between Jews and Gentiles was thicker than most anything we can imagine today. The hatred on both sides was strong. The Jews saw themselves as the people of God, and they saw the Gentiles as dogs, unclean. And the Gentiles knew this, and, and, and like normal human beings, hated them for that, despised them for that. In fact, in the temple, there was supposed to be this area, the court of the Gentiles, where, where the, um, the, 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 the Old Testament truth, the God of Israel, could be just on display for the Gentiles to, to see him. And, and uh, they could not get in. They couldn't go past that court. They were not allowed. There was hatred. William Barclay is a professor, a, a biblical professor. He said, God, they say, loves only Israel. Of all the nations that he made, it was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need. For that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. I've been working in an industry, and I've shared this before for about 20 years, that's really dominated by Orthodox Hasidic Jewish men. And <clears throat> I have a lot of good relationships with them, and we do business, and 
were pleasant, but they won't eat dinner with me because I'm a Gentile and I'm unclean. So that still even exists today. But in the Old Testament, this was heated. And how does God speak to the answer to this? For he, Jesus, himself is our peace, who has made us both one, he's talking Jew and Gentile, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might in himself create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. In the book of Colossians, Paul says, there's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no Greek, there's no slave. In Christ, we are all one. That doesn't mean that, that there aren't differences, but we're all one in Christ. The gospel tears down dividing walls. It brings everyone low to the foot of the cross. We're all on common ground. And in front of the cross, we are all sinners. It's not them. It's not them. It's not this group. It's not that group. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every human being. The gospel is the only thing, the only story, the only narrative they can speak into the chaos that we see in our world. It's the only narrative. Everything else is like watering leaves. It's going to patch it up here and there, but then you're going to spark somewhere. And just, if you don't believe me, look at the history of the world. What did Jesus say? There will always be wars, rumors of wars. The human heart is sinful, and it needs a savior. Our narrative as believers in this chaos is what the world needs. And if you hear anything from me today, I hope that's what you hear. And I know you, you know this, but I think we gotta speak it. We gotta, we gotta share it. We gotta be in conversations and we gotta know, okay, well, this is how the gospel might speak to this. This is how it might speak to that because it's complex. It's complex. The narrative of the gospel is from Genesis to Revelation and it's redemption and creation and it's a beautiful story. God created the world. This has massive implications for the world. And the world lives right now as if we have evolved. They have bought the evolution narrative. All people are image bearers. Every human being, every human being has worth, has dignity which means you have purpose. This would include the unborn, all races. Every human being is an image bearer of God. God has an intentional created order. He created this world. If you read the book of Genesis, you're gonna, he created this according to this kind, this according to this kind, he separated this. He did that, God is a God of order and justice. There is an enemy who wants to sow chaos and, and disorder. 
That's part of our narrative. There is an enemy. He wants to sow chaos. He wants to sow disorder. We've all sinned against God. We are all guilty. That's part of our narrative. We are enemies of God in our natural state. Only through trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior can we be reconciled to God and therefore be reconciled to people. That's the Christian narrative. And I'm, I'm sure, like me, you're hearing the word narrative, narrative, narrative. It's a word I used to like to use, now I'm hearing it in the news all the time. But it's a, it's a true word. It's a way of viewing the world. It's a story. That, that there's pieces all over that come together to inform how do we make decisions? How do I view this? How do I view this? And that's our narrative. Man and woman are sinners. Our hearts are wicked and want to be against God. And that wickedness is on a spectrum. We're looking around and, and, and we all want justice. God is a God of justice. And the world is, is screaming for justice. But the problem, as I thought through this, and we're gonna get back to Philippians in, in a moment, as I thought through this, the problem in our day is at least in my generation and younger, the media and the movies we watch and the music we listen to, just this tidal wave of, of culture has just had a, a crazy worldview shift. And we're being taught, we're the product of evolution. Implicit in this means there's no sound or cogent reason why any of us would have worth and dignity. And if you believe in evolution, you might say, well, no, 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 Anthony, Pastor Anthony, that's not true. That's not true. I can believe that. No, you can't. There's no foundation to believe that if you believe people are an accident. And our culture, and, and I, it saddens me to say the church has bought into this lie over the years. Our kids are being taught. There's no absolute truth. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. There's no truth. Truth is relative. We've taught our kids that human life is not valuable. We kill babies in the womb. And people argue for that. We taught our children that chaos is okay. God's law is restricting. You can do whatever you want. If you feel this, go chase it. Follow your heart, do good, what, what you feel like in the moment. We've sold our children the lie that you can be anything that you wanna be, there's no restrictions. You can be anything you wanna be, even if that means changing who you are, who God made you to be. You can be anything you wanna be. And we wonder why teen suicide levels are at the highest rate that they've ever been. We wonder why there's chaos everywhere. When I say chaos, I'm not just talking about the riots. I'm talking about just how we view truth and humanity, and it's chaos. There's chaos in our cities, in our schools, in our families, and we don't know how to stop it. We don't know how to stop it. And the world wants to fix this. They want to fix it, but at the same moment, they're saying, don't dare you tell me what I can do and can't do. Don't tell me that. Once you do that, you 
You've committed the ultimate sin. Don't dare tell me there's a God that demands that I live a certain way. I'll determine what's right and good. Get off of me with your overly traditional view of Christianity and God. And the Psalms captures the sentiment. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. That's the idea of, I don't want your law, God. I don't want it. I want a relationship with you and I want to love you. And, but, but if you're going to tell me how I should live, then I don't want you. This bonds, it's cords. And that's what the world, the world is saying, I want the kingdom. I want God's peace and I want his order, but I don't want the king. I don't want to listen to the king. I don't want the king as Lord. I don't want to follow him. But I want his kingdom because his kingdom is order and goodness and light. His order is good. We all know that. God's ways are good ways. God doesn't tell us, hey, don't do this because he doesn't want us to have experience something good, he knows what we need. If any of you in here have kids, you know this. Your kids are going to want to do things that are not good for them. As parents, you have to say no. And they view you as, ah, dad or mom, they've just ruined my fun. Or ruined the eighth bowl of cereal I wanted to eat today instead of eating anything healthy. So we all know this intuitively, but I, I would just challenge you. If you're in here and you're thinking, I don't like the sound of that, and you're kind of kicking against what I'm saying, I, I get that. I'm totally, I get it. But it's the Bible. It's God that you're kicking against. It's not me. It's, it's the word of God in his ways. Paul goes on in, in Philippians he says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul's talking to the believers in Philippi and he's saying, hey, you guys, I, I'm sure of it. God has you. He's going to bring you into the kingdom, into glory someday at the day of the, Jesus Christ. But we got to do a little work here and this has a lot to do with what's going on today. The day of Jesus Christ. This is a term you're going to hear in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it was called the day of the Lord. And I'll just give you a few verses. There's a lot. This is a really cool study. If you, if you, you want to do that on your own, and you can go into like Bible Gateway and just type in the, the day of the Lord. But give you a little example. Well, for the day of the Lord is near, as destruction from the Almighty it will come. That's in the book of Isaiah. Ezekiel. For the day is near, the day of the Lord is near. It will be a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. So this idea in, in the Old Testament is there's coming a day where God is going to say enough. Enough. 
This has gone on long enough. Justice will be meted out. And that day is coming. And it's all throughout the Old Testament. But the curious thing is when we, we shift to the New Testament, you start reading things like talking about Jesus. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And there's multiple instances of this in the New Testament. You go check it out for yourself. But it talks about Jesus. He's going to be coming in judgment. So we all want justice, all of us. And this is a hot button topic. And believe me, I, before I was doing this, I'm like, do I really want to even talk about that? Because you get into it and it's like you're going to step in something. And I hope you have grace with me if I, if I do that. There's a lot of passion on, on both sides of this. But justice, yes. The police officer who murdered George Floyd, atrocity. There should be justice. The rioters looting and killing innocent people and, and businesses, justice. In fact, the, the morning after the first night of riots, Amy and I turned on the news and in Chicago, a longtime customer of mine who I've known for 20 years, is being interviewed as his store was looted and burnt down on national TV. So he's standing outside the store and he's like, yep, the looters came in. They took the film cameras and somebody set fire to the, to the basement. And this is a, a store that was in the family business and, and he inherited it from his father, his father from his father. And the man is outside watching it burn down. And that's one instance. Justice, yes. But I would ask, where does justice stop? The coworker who slandered you, yeah, you, you kind of want some form of, of justice, right? They've hurt your reputation, you want justice. But it keeps going. How about your slander of other people? How about your lust towards someone who's not your husband or wife, or lust for a woman or a man and your heart? How about your anger and bitterness towards your spouse, maybe even a child? Where does justice stop? One of the reasons this is so confusing for the world to navigate, to understand, well, who's right and who's wrong? What side, what narrative is right in this? What, uh, it, it's so hard to navigate because sin has permeated every level of society and human being. Every level. So there's sin on every, running through this whole, all humanity. And the world doesn't have a, a, a paradigm for this. They can't, they don't see it. The world's going to see it and write, this is right, this is wrong. But we as believers should be able to look into the situation with nuance. And, and, and love and be careful and say, well, the, yeah, this could be this. The gospel can actually speak into these situations. The root of racism is sin. The root of a police officer resting his knee on a man and, who stops breathing is sin. The root of the rioting and the chaos is sin. 
The whole human race is guilty of sin. That's what we believe as Christians. We have the only worldview that can get at the heart of the matter of what's going on now and ever in the world. In the book of Corinthians, Paul talks about the day of the Lord and he says, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end. This is the line I want you to, to, to think about. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in the New Testament, that day of the Lord, the, the final justice of God pivots to, it's the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying here that if you have faith in Jesus, you will stand guiltless on that day. No matter what you have done, you will stand guiltless before God on his day of judgment, the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> so what I, I would ask you this morning to think, what are you standing on? Is it your righteousness, your pride of, of maybe your opinions and how you think the world could be a better place, or are you standing on Christ's righteousness and looking to the cross and saying, I'm part of the problem in some way. It doesn't mean that there's, this needs to be fixed and, and this is these atrocities. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying... That, that, that there's not things that can be done to fix that, but I'm just saying, are you embracing the gospel? Because we see Paul in chapter one of Philippians talk about the gospel six times. The gospel was near and dear to his heart. In the book of Corinthians, he talks about that was of first importance, the gospel. Is the gospel for you of first importance? He goes on, in Philippians to say, it's right for me to feel this way about you. What, what way? It's right for me to be confident that you're going to stand at that day, at the day of judgment. That's what he's talking about. It's right for me to feel this way about you. Since I have, have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains, which Paul is, is in prison while he's writing this, not exactly sure. Most people think Rome, house arrest, prison, not quite sure whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless the day of Christ. So here it is. He's got that day of the Lord, the day of Christ in view. And he wants them to be what? Pure and blameless on that day when God comes to judge and put, finally put an end to wickedness. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So how, what is Paul praying for? How is love going to abound? Well, he, he's praying that love abounds in knowledge and depth of insight. 
we really live in this weird time. I, I, I know you've seen this and I, and I hope it resonates, but we live in this polarizing time where it's like, if you say this, then it must mean that you're against this. And, and, and if you're at all on social media, you know that, that that's like amplified. But even in conversations, we, we've lost the ability to nuance, to, to carefully like discuss without flipping out on the other person, right? And just raging and my anger, my blood is boiling. How could they possibly believe that? But you say something and people don't even listen to what you're saying. They just take it and they run with it because they're already met, they're putting you in a category that they've made and, and you're in that box because you said this. We live in a time that, that that's it. That's, that's our day and age. And in the church, I've seen this come in where what's pitted against each other is heartfelt love and worship and, and love for Christ. And then over here, knowledge and doctrine. And that the, the, they're not, they're separated. Like, oh, if you love doctrine, you must, you, you know, that, that's, you must not be over here and have, and have a heart for God. Or it could, if, you if you have a, a heart for God, you must be just not really even thinking about doctrine, you, you know, crazy with your hands up in the air and, and, and worshiping. Um, and that's an argument. That's an argument in the American church. And Paul here is, is uniting the two together. We see it. He says, this is my prayer, that your love, that your heart may abound more and more. How? In knowledge and depth of insight. He's not talking about knowledge plants and animals. He's talking about the knowledge of the word of God, the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of Jesus. That's Paul's prayer. That's our prayer for you, for all of us, that we may abound more and more in love. You know, you might hear me up here passionate and, and talking about these things, but that's not how I'm going to engage the world. I'm not going to yell at the world. We're going to enter the world and have conversations and love them and speak to them. And, hey, have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about this? How does the gospel change or shape a life? The answer to that is worship. To embrace the gospel is going to embrace worship. To embrace the gospel, your love of Christ is going to overflow. You're going to to just grab hold of that. You're going to see it. You're going to feel it. You're going to taste it. You're going to know it. You're going you're gonna to just, you're going to worship. It's going to cause the heart to worship. What causes the heart to worship? Our minds. They're related. Your heart and your mind, they're related. It's a symbiotic relationship. Pastor John Piper says this. I, I really love this quote. He says, right thinking about God exists for the sake of right feelings for God. So just stop there for a minute. If you're thinking about God wrong, your feelings for him are wrong too. If you've created a God, like partly from the Bible, partly from the world, kind of mishmash it together, you're not worshiping the God of the Bible. Right thinking about God exists for the sake of right feelings for God. In that order, logic exists for the sake of love. Reasoning exists for the sake of rejoicing. Doctrine exists for the sake of delight. Reflection about God exists for affection for God. 
The head is meant to serve the heart. And oh, that I pray that this church that just catch fire for that idea, the head and the heart, to be loving, caring people out in the world who are able to maybe just be different than the rest of the world and not shout and yell and, and listen a little and then speak our truth, God's truth into it. But speak it because we know God. We know the God of the Bible. We're not making a God up. They're not mutually exclusive. Is the gospel at the center of your relationships in the church? Just think about for that. Think about that question for a moment. Is the gospel at the center of your relationships in the church? Are you partnering in the gospel in a way that you can say, yeah, it's, it's at the center? When you look around at the world and everything that's happening, is your immediate instinct to, to, to say, well, well, this, 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 I can fix it. Do you, do you see a need that the world needs the gospel of Jesus Christ, redemption? Is your love for God growing in depth of insight? The world is in desperate need for the Christian worldview. Desperate need. And we as Christians have to dig into that and really know what we believe. Know what, what is the totality of our worldview? What is the Bible saying from Genesis to Revelation, what is the story of redemption? But just to hit on a few topics. Number one, creation. All human life is valuable. God created the world. It is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's the first sentence in the Bible. It firms up the whole thing, the whole foundation. And it's not just in Genesis. It's, you're going to find it throughout Hebrews, and it is in the Bible. God created it. He spoke it into existence. That firms up everything, and right away, we're, we're different. We're, we're different than the rest of the world because we can say every human life has dignity. Everyone, black, white, yellow, red, every human life is valuable. And I, I'll give it to you. If you if you believe in evolution, you can say that, but it does not make cogent sense. If you really think through that, it doesn't make sense. The second thing is the world is the way it is because of sin, the rebellion, the fall that happened in the garden. That's why the world is a mess. And the world is also beautiful because it's God's world. So there's a tension there. We live in this world that things happen Hor horrific things, but beautiful things happen too. Redemption. There is true hope. There's true forgiveness. Every human soul needs forgiveness. This is in the story of the pages of the Bible. God pursuing his people. And finally, the theological word is consummation, but it's the end of all things. What's the end game of our worldview? It's the resurrection. It's all of this messiness, justice being served, and beauty, and death being swallowed up, and sin no more. And I don't know what you believe, what gives you hope, 
But I can tell you, death is coming for us all. And there's only one thing beyond this, a theological concept that you can grab hold of that's going to give you hope. And that's the resurrection. Paul's prayer was that they abounded more and more in love and depth of insight. We should pray that for ourselves too, as a church. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that in the midst of chaos, in the midst of a confusing time, in the middle of a time where arguments and debates seem to be getting out of control and, and not far off from any conversation, we pray that we can be a people filled with grace and truth. We have the very words of life. They're your words, Lord. They're not ours. Give us boldness to speak them. Give us humbleness to listen, even when we disagree. Give us a, a careful spirit to just nuance conversations and agree where we can agree and, and disagree where we can disagree. But Lord, let us not. Let us not hold back from preaching your gospel to a world that's in desperate need. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vintage Faith Podcast. At Vintage Faith, our vision is to help people who are far from God to become totally devoted followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast brought you closer to God. For more information, check us out at vintagefaithcicero.com.